Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. We have, we're working through this chapter today. We will complete it. And we've talked about how uh, we need to exercise our spiritual gifts. We've talked about um, being transformed into the Christian we need to be. And today really is just a continuation of that as we complete Romans 12. And, and we, we're going to see these principles and standards that we should live by as Christians. And I think we all agree, right, that true, true believers in Christ, there are certain things we should do, certain ways we should live, attitudes, actions, beliefs that we have that maybe other people don't have. And we come together as a church week after week to remind ourselves of the way we should be living, right? We remind ourselves through the word and through our experiences and through our encouragement of one another that though life is hard, though life is difficult, though life sometimes is unbearable, we are still called to be the Christians that God has made us to be and is making us to be. And, and so as, as Paul gets into the last part of this chapter, I, I, I think it's like this. He's like, um, anybody, anybody like boxing in here? Probably not many people, maybe a couple people. In my 20s, I went through a phase, I guess it was an early life depression, where I started watching boxing for some reason. Don't know why. But my wife was like, why are you watching boxing for? Like Friday night, Friday night boxing. I'm like sitting at home watching ESPN. And I don't know why, it was a short phase and I was yelled at me. But when, the, when you're watching boxing, right, you know there's the knockout punch. The uppercut, maybe a hook, there's a knockout punch. But usually the most important punch is the jab. And a boxer will throw a lot of quick, short jabs to set up his knockout punch. And as I was reading through Romans 12 and making these notes, I thought, man, as Paul is He's giving us these jabs. And so every little, I mean, within these verses, there are these little bam, bam, jabs of truth, of, a, of principles that we should be living in our lives. And so I'm going to give you, and I told Cooper this this morning, and his eyes went like this big, I'm going to give you 18 jabs right in the face this morning of God's word. It's supposed to say 18 marks of a Christian up there. I think Cooper erased the 18, hoping, hoping I would change it. But, um, but we're, we're going to go quickly through these verses, and uh, I'm going to open the fire hydrant, and you just take it, okay? <laughs> Before we do that, look at Philippians 1.27. And this is a verse I think Cooper has for us up there. Look up there on the screen for me. And this is a good uh, starting point here. Only, Paul said, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This verse in Philippians reminds us that our life, our life should be lived in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Is how we're living worthy of Christ and him giving his life for us? We're going to see that, I think, in these in these 18 jabs. First, the first one is we must love purely. Love authentically. Look in Romans 12, verse 9. He says there, let love be without dissimulation. Or, to say another way, let love be authentic, let love be pure, let love be genuine, let love not be hypocritical. In other words, love rightly. And the word for love there, if you look in the Greek New Testament, is agape. 
which is that love of God, that unconditional love that God has for us and that we are to have toward God and toward others. This is a true love. This is not hypocritical love. It's not a love for show. It's not when my kids come to me and say, hey, Daddy, I love you, and I'll say, what do you want, right? What do you need? And my kids have done that before. I'm sure some of yours have too. This is love that does something for someone else without expecting anything in return. Sacrificial, unconditional love. Look at look at a few scriptures here I put up there for you. The fruit of the Spirit, y'all know this in Galatians 5. What, what fruit did he list first? The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. Paul put love at the beginning of that that fruit of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, he said, Now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is what? Is love. How about what Jesus said in Matthew 22? That great commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to do two things in this world, we need to love God and love people. Look at 1 John 4. Here's how important it is for us to love others. Beloved, let us not, I mean, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But look at the last part of this. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Is it important for us as believers to love people genuinely, authentically, purely, rightly? Absolutely. It's tough, it's hard to love some people in this world, and we're going to get to that here at the end of this message, but we must do it. We're called to do it, right? And God gives us the ability, the help, the grace to do it. Number two, we need to hate evil. Look at that verse again, verse 9. He says, love correctly, then he says, secondly, abhor or hate that which is evil. I found Psalm 97.10 that says, hate evil all you who love the Lord. Let me ask y'all this. Is it hard or easy for you to identify what is evil in the world? Do you think it's hard or easy for you to identify it? Hard sometimes, easy sometimes for some, different things, right? I mean, how do we know what's right and what's wrong? The Word tells us. The Bible tells us. God has told us what is right and what is wrong. But what's happened in our day and time, and I don't know how long this has been the case, but what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, the lines sometimes become blurred. And the first thing we must do if we're going to follow the scripture, if we're going to hate that which is evil, then we must identify that which is evil. But in our world today, by the way, it's, it's like flipped, isn't it? Things that we think the Bible says are evil, the world accepts and celebrates, and vice versa. I thought about this this week, and this, I hope this applies. Do you all remember last year? I think it was last Christmas that some of some people tried to get the, the song Baby It's Cold Outside taken off the radio. Y'all remember that? Dear baby, it's cold. I won't sing it for you, but y'all know the song? Baby, it's cold outside. And the guy wants the, the, the girl to stay and not go home. It's cold outside. But it was taken off some radio because it was seen as him like being too aggressive toward his date. And I remember that drove me crazy. Like, taking it off the radio. Some people redid it and changed the words to it. And, like, the song wasn't bad. But here's what I mean by that. The very same, that same year, the most popular song on iTunes or on the charts, I can't even say the title of it in front of you, was an inappropriate song about body parts. Some of y'all probably know what I'm talking about. And I thought to myself, 
we're canceling maybe it's cold outside because of what's nothing and our world is accepting and making number one on the charts this very inappropriate song about body parts so my point is this and especially for our younger generation right like we have to help them through god's word identify what is right and what is wrong what is good and what is evil and we must make sure we're doing it the right way and anything we see that the bible says is sin we must call it sin right it doesn't matter what I say about it. It matters what God's word says about we must identify evil and then stay away from it as best we possibly can. That, and that's similar to number three. The third jab this morning is to cling to good. We see that again in verse nine. Abhor that which is evil and cleave or cling or hold to that which is good. The word here, by the way, for cleave comes from the same word that we get our word glue from, right? So stick to what is good. How many people in this world are sticking to the evil things? We're called to be away from those things and to be stuck or close to the things of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 21 and 22, it says, Examine everything carefully, hold fast to that which is good, and abstain from every appearance of evil. Again, identifying that which is evil, identifying that which is good, resisting evil, and clinging to good. The bottom line is this on this point. A Christian is someone who is learning to hate what God hates and love what God loves. That's, what a, that's one, one part of being a Christian. We're saved by grace through faith, and as God begins to work in our lives, we begin to love what he loves and hate what he hates. And if we can go through life loving the things that the world loves and not loving the things of God, then we're probably not a Christian, right? Biblically speaking. So that's number three. Let's go to number four. Number four is to love like family. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. The word for love here is not agape, as we saw back in verse 9. The word for love here is the word phileo. And what's the city of brotherly love? Philadelphia, which comes from that same word, phileo or phileos which means to love with this genuine family, brotherly affection. How do we love like this? How do we show this type of kind affection to one another? And specifically, I think this refers to the church. Well, we, we care about each other. We care about what's going on in each other's lives, right? We, we, we encourage each other when we're down. We, we're, we're there. We serve one another. We forgive one another when someone maybe says something to hurt us or do something that's hurtful towards us. We're to love like family. And Jesus said, especially about you know, his disciples, by this all men will know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. We must love like family. Number five, the fifth jab, show honor to one another. That's the second part of verse 10. He says, in honor, preferring one another. This means to genuinely appreciate and admire and to put your fellow believers ahead of your of yourself. I was thinking about when Jesse and I first dated and, and maybe were first married, she would say, I love you, and I would say, I love you, you know, love you too. And she would say, I love you more. And I was like, yeah, I, I love you too. She's like, I love you the most. I'm like, I got it, right? That always annoyed me, by the way. I said it one time, that's enough. But do y'all know people like that that have to have the last word 
or they go overboard, or that person that maybe like tries to, uh, they have to buy the best gift for everybody. Y'all know that person? Some of y'all are that person. You got to buy the best. You got to outdo everybody else. Well, this is a good kind of outdoing. This is an honor preferring one another, outdoing each other and showing honor to one another. Taking the time or the, the resources you might have, the, the, the things you might have that you can encourage someone else with, and praising that person or lifting them up, edifying them, preferring them. A church should be a group of people who are trying to outdo one another in love and respect and honor. We should be trying to do that. Number six, the sixth jab is be diligent servants. Look at uh, verse 11. He says, not slothful in business. Uh, The best I can tell is I've studied this phrase it's about being diligent as you serve the Lord um, and, and not, not being lazy with it, not being haphazard with it, but your service to the Lord is important to you, and you make sure you take that as something important. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your, your might. I mean, do we do that? Do we try to make the best use of our time for Christ? hope we do. We're using this hour, I hope for good, as we are here at church, but throughout the week, are we using our time wisely? I saw a quote from a pastor, his name is Paul Washer. If you ever have time, look up Paul Washer's sermons on YouTube or read his books. He's a pastor and a missionary. He goes into like the jungles and preaches and things like that. And Washer had a quote the other day in a sermon where he said, he said, I want you to take your screen time from last week your, you know, your phone time, iPad time, computer time, and compare it with your prayer time. And you know, I saw on Facebook, I said, send help. Like, ouch, right? Or your TV time. Or, you know, I watched football for five, six hours yesterday, but how many hours did I spend in prayer yesterday? And what a convicting thing. And we, we realize that these things of the world, even things we enjoy, like football, nothing wrong with football, I love it. I'm going to watch it again today, this evening, but... But we realize that's a very earthly, temporary thing when prayer with our Savior is a very eternal, important, more important thing. And may we make the best use of our time. In in Ephesians 5, he said, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Number seven, the seventh jab there in verse 11 is he says, be fervent in spirit. To be fervent is to be enthusiastic in in spirit. Um, I like I look at this word fervent, and it means to be to be hot, like boiling over. Um, and it reminded me of one day this week. Um, Jesse was up getting the kids ready for school, and I was playing my guitar. Random, random. I don't play my guitar in the morning, and I was playing my guitar, trying to learn a new song. And um, and so she's in the she's we're gonna record it to see what it sounded like in the early morning, and so she starts recording it. And within the background behind us is her cooking some like macaroni and cheese or something for breakfast or for lunch for the kids. And so it starts boiling over. So I'm she's recording me singing a song. The kids are running around. We got this pot boiling over. I'm like, are you gonna do something about that boiling food? So she has to finally go and fix it. But when a pot boils over, you notice it, right? You hear it. You might see the steam, you, you know, you notice a pot boiling over. Here he says, we as Christians are to be fervent in our spirit. If the sixth jab was about being diligent in our actions, this is more about our attitude. 
an attitude of enthusiasm for Christ, of boiling over for Christ. You've heard, have you ever heard anybody say, man, he's on fire for the Lord. He's on fire for Christ. It's to have that fervency, that, that enthusiasm. And let's just be honest. The world can put out that fire, can't it? That It can just, you know, I, I will confess there are times in my life where I've been more on fire for Christ than I am right now. And I'm sure some of you could say the same. And and that it's, it's a convicting thing to say, I need to get back closer to him. I want, I want to be that person. I want to be fervent in spirit. Galatians 6.9 gives us such a great reminder for when, when we want to quit, when we want to give up, when we think the things we're doing are not serving God, are not helping. He said, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. Let me give you a quote from J.C. Ryle. He's one of my favorite people to read after. He was a bishop in England many, many years ago. He said, zeal is a burning desire to please God, to do his will, and to advance his glory in the world in every possible way. Listen, a zealous man is preeminently a man of one thing. He is more than earnest hearty, uncompromising, wholehearted, and fervent in spirit. He sees only one thing, cares about one thing, lives for one thing, and is swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or dies, has health or sickness, whether he is rich or poor, pleases people or gives offense, whether he is thought to be wise or foolish, whether he gets the blame or praise, whether he receives honor or is given shame, he burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please that be our heart. May we be fervent in spirit. Jab number eight. Some of these are going to be quick, by the way, but number eight is in verse 11. He says to serve the Lord, serving the Lord. This means our perspective and our priority is to serve Christ in his life. Romans 1, 9, he says, I serve God in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel. How do we serve God? We serve God primarily by serving others. People made in his image who he loves. Number nine, the ninth jab in verse 12 says, Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. This might be a verse you want to underline this morning or circle or make note of. To rejoice in hope. I'm going to mention Miss Linda this morning. Talked to her this week. If you don't know, Mr. Jean is in the hospital and not doing well at all. And talking to Miss Linda about it and the difficult time their family has gone through and, and will go through this week. And um, I wasn't surprised, but everything Miss Linda said was just faithful and pointed to Christ. And and she said, "I know everything's going to be okay." And why can she say something like that? In a very difficult time, how can her and her family say everything's going to be okay? She says that because she has a hope, a hope beyond this world. And she rejoices in that hope. As Christians, we, we have this. J.C. Ryle said a true Christian has a good hope when he looks forward to the worldly man. 
We have a hope that the world does not have because our hope is in eternity. Our hope is in Christ. Lord, if you're going through a difficult time this morning, you need to to rejoice in hope. The next part of that, and it goes right with it, our tenth jab is to persevere in trials and tribulations. He says there to be patient in them. And this means to be, an, it's an active, patient, hopeful trusting of the Lord. As we studied Psalms, we talked about um, waiting on the Lord. And we, we said in Psalms, waiting on the Lord is not just twiddling your thumbs. It is to expect God to show up and do something. Expecting God to work. And that's what this means, to persevere, to be patient as God works through your difficulties. God gives his people the ability to persevere through the most difficult of circumstances. So have you ever been through a really difficult time that God did not bring you through? I would say all of us have been through the difficult times, and I would say most of us would testify every time God has led me through. He's brought me through. And so we have this hope, we have this faith. Number 11, the 11th jab Again, it's, they're all connected. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and continue confessing with prayer. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5 there on the screen. Rejoice always, pray without what? Ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Martin Luther said, to be a Christian without breathing is, uh, to be, what did he say? He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. For a Christian, that's how important prayer is. So pray without ceasing. When should I pray? Pray in the morning when you first get up. Pray in your, when you're driving with your eyes open. Pray before you eat a meal. If it's good, pray during the meal. Pray after the meal. Pray at work if you have time. Pray after work. Pray before bed. Pray with your kids. Pray with your grandkids. Pray before, I mean, when can we not pray? I mean, we can pray. Pray, pray, pray. We need to be always ready and able to pray. Some of my most important prayers are not when I bow down like this and spend time in prayer. Some of my most important prayers are just kind of off the cuff, right? So the Lord kind of says, says something to me, and I, and I pray. Pray without ceasing. By the way, these are connected. If, if we're going to rejoice in hope and we're going to be patient in tribulation, we have to have prayer. We have to pray. You know, this faith we have is more... It's, it's about more than these religious rituals we do, like coming to church. If you just go to church, you just sometimes read the Bible, but you don't spend time praying to God, then that reveals that you really don't depend on Him. Prayer to God reveals that we depend on God. And God desires that. He desires for us to depend on Him. I could go on and on, but we'll, we'll leave it there. But we must be constantly praying, be devoted to prayer. Number 12. Meet the needs of others. Verse 13, he says, distributing to the necessity of the saints. Again, the simple truth here that believers should see needs and meet needs. And I think we do that as a church often. I hope we do that. And if you have needs that we need to know of or people in our church have needs that we don't know about, please let us know because we want to be able to see needs like this and, and meet those needs. The early church, they were an amazing example of this. If people had a need, you read in the book of Acts, they would make sure those needs were taken care of. We need to be students of that. Number 13, be hospitable. Show hospitality there in verse 13. Um, 
in the first century, and even in the Old Testament, God's people were big on being hospitable. And I always relate that to my, my grandparents, who every time somebody would visit them, you know, you go to leave their house, they walk you to the car, they stand there and talk for 20 minutes, you start backing out, they follow you down the driveway, and you leave and look in the mirror, and they would always be like waving, you know, like, like and you're surprised they won't run down the road chasing them. But, and I think people used to be more like that way, more hospitable in that way, didn't want you to leave, wanted you to stay, and now it's like just coming and going. But I think that comes from a biblical thing. They were very hospitable in the New Testament and the Old Testament. And I was reading this week, I thought this interesting, that a lot of times their, their inns, like their motels, hotels, their, the inns they would stay in, were not safe, and they were uh, not really suitable. And so Christians in the first century would not want other Christians traveling to stay in those places. They would say, you can't stay with us. And they would be very hospitable to their fellow believers. And we should be hospitable as well. Number 14, have a right attitude toward all people. Now, this is where it gets hard. This is where it gets hard. Look at verse 14. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. And the way I describe it is have a right attitude toward all people. It's easy to love those who love us, right? It's easy. It's easy to be kind toward those who love us. It's easy to even forgive those who, you know, who love us. But it's harder to be kind toward those who have somehow hurt us. Because this is over here. You're talking about persecution, of course. That's how would they do that? But how are we at forgiving people? How are we at now? Or this here's where I put my notes here. Do I want God's favor for that person who hurt me? Do I want God's favor on their life? Do I pray and say, God, this person really did something against me, but I pray your blessings on them. I pray your favor on them. Is that hard to do? Yeah. But the best example, and I think the most helpful example, is Luke 23, 36. Jesus Christ, perfect Son of God, hanging on the cross, dying for sinners. Some of those sinners are there who had just put him on the cross. Some of those sinners are there mocking him. And he says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. If he can forgive like that, shouldn't we, his children, try to do the same? Have a right attitude toward people. Number 15, be considerate of others. The 15th jab, if you haven't been knocked out yet, is be considerate of others. Verse, verse 15, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. I say this a lot, but we should rejoice with those who rejoice, right? When, when people in our church get married, we want to celebrate that. When people get a new job, we want to celebrate that. Uh, when, people, when our kids you know, graduate high school or college, we want to celebrate that. So we rejoice with those who rejoice, and also we weep with those who weep, right? People hurt, people go through difficult times. We want to be there for them in those difficult times. And that's just being considerate of, of others. Number 16 is also in verse 16. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. 
Be not wise in your own conceits. The idea here in, in Numbers 16 is to be humble, to show humility. We talked about humility last week, and I told you about the lady that said to me, she came to me in church and said, hey, I'm the most humble person in the whole church. You remember that lady? And uh, don't be that lady. I was like, I don't believe you. You know, I don't believe that. But we can never say this enough, that humility should be a mark of our life. There should never be somebody that says, that's a very prideful Christian over there. I told you one time about the pastor. The church was talking to me about coming to their church. And they said, hey, we want you to come to our church, but our pastor's really prideful, really arrogant. And I was like, that doesn't sound good. And I went anyway. Just saying. But, but uh, anyway. But yeah, a conceited Christian, a conceited Christian is not a good Christian. We, to be a prideful person is to be more like the devil than Christ. Christ was humble. He surrendered himself. He, he humbled himself. We should do the same. Number 17, only two jabs left. Number 17, treat your enemies well. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Let me stop there for a second. I know people, I have some good friends who want to start stuff. I know people like that. You might be married to one. I don't know. But who want to stir stuff up. Not me. I'm not married to that person. But, okay. What, as Christians, we should be not trying to stir up the pot, but to be peaceable. Is it always going to be possible? Probably not. But don't go out of your way to stir the pot. Don't go out of your way to be hateful toward others. Let me go to the altar at this point. Yeah. But that kind of drives me crazy when I know people, see people that spend like half their day just trying to like, you know, be mean to people. Like, don't do that. Like, Christians should not do that. If you're going to do that, don't call yourself a Christian because that's not pointing people to Christ. Verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, what? If thine enemy hunger, what? Feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. I want to say a lot more here, but I'm just going to say this. Those who have offended us, we, as best we can, we need to forgive them in the Lord, and leave any type of revenge in the Lord's hands. And not have bad feelings toward them, because if we have bad feelings toward them, then not only are they wrong for whatever they did, but then we are in the wrong as well. Because we're harboring those feelings. And Christ has told us, love and pray for our enemies. Our final jab. Verse 18. Overcome evil with good. Makes it kind of simple, right? Verse 21. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I think this, I, I think this can apply to maybe evil in our own lives, like a sin in our lives. Sometimes we're our own worst enemy. You know, we are with evil in our, us, a sin in us. And, and we understand that 
to help out, we have to ask the Lord to help us. Well, Lord, help me not to be my own worst enemy. Now, how many of us, you know, talk negatively to ourselves? How many of you say to yourself, like, I just can't do it. I can't be a good Christian, or I can't do the right things, or I can't forgive this person, I can't help this person, I can't be faithful to church, I can't read the Bible every day, I can't do this, I can't do that. How many of us talk negatively to ourselves instead of being quiet and allowing the Lord to speak to us through his word in a way that will edify and lift us up? Speak positively to yourself and truthfully to yourself. But but I think the main context here is the evil around us, based on what we just read in the previous verses. To not let people in our world that hurt us, you know, bring us down, but that we might overcome evil with with good. Let me give you a story. In 1999, a man named Graham Stain was a missionary in India. This is a very sad story if you compare yourself. But Graham Stain was a missionary in India, and, and he was dri- driving down the road with his Ten and six-year-old sons. Their names were Philip and Timothy. And there was a radical group of Hindus who knew they were believers and who trapped them and burned them alive inside their vehicles, killed them. And it's an awful story. And again, this is 1999. It's not you know not that long ago. And um, he had spent 30 over 30 years in India, serving people, helping people feeding people, and preaching the gospel of Christ. And that's what happened to him and his two sons. He had a widow, her name was Gladys, and a 13-year-old daughter named Esther. And here's what Gladys did. She took out an ad in the local paper there in India. And it came out, it said not but a few days after her husband and sons were killed. And here's what she wrote in the paper. I have only one message for the people of India. I am not bitter. I shouldn't have done that. She said, neither am I angry, but I have one great desire, that each citizen of this country should have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Then she wrote, let us burn hatred and spread the flame of Christ's love pretty powerful. Everyone thought after she did that, by the way, they thought she would take her her daughter and move back to Australia where they came from. But do you think she did that? She did not. Stories told that she, she stayed there. She said, my husband and son sacrificed their lives for this nation and we will stay. I'm going to stay and serve the needy. Her daughter, Esther, was asked, how does she feel about what happened to her father? And Esther said, with wisdom beyond her years, I praise the Lord that he found my father worthy to die for me. That's the response. Again, this is 1999, true story. That's the response of this this wife and mother and this 13-year-old daughter losing their, their loved ones. And I share that with you because sometimes we can't forgive someone who gossips about us. Or maybe even, and I know across this room, there's some of us who maybe have had some really bad things happen to us and some other people in the past. But can't we, through Christ, work our way through these things that he might forgive people? 
that we might even treat our enemies well, that we might somehow overcome evil with good. These people in this story, they overcome, they overcame evil with good. Um, they're a, an amazing picture. And the reality of this is maybe nobody in this room would die for Christ the way that family did. But as we began this sermon in Philippians 1, 27, we may not die for Christ, but shouldn't we live for him? Right? We should, right? These 18 jabs, if applied in our lives over and over again, will cause us to make an impact on this world for Christ. We'll be a better husband, a better wife, a better child, a better father, a better friend, a better worker at work, a better church member. If we apply these things, we will be better for Christ. We'll be more godly, we'll be more holy, and the manner of life we live will be worthy as best we can of the gospel of Christ. May these jabs stick with us 